Welcome to the AdaptX podcast, where we have discussions with individuals who are building accessible businesses or products, advocating for inclusion or excelling in adaptive sports. Our intention is never to speak on behalf of those with disabilities, but rather to give them a platform to amplify their ideas, voice, and learn strategies to scale our impact and help other businesses become more inclusive. Today, I'm joined by Evan Schwerbrock. A few months after earning his bachelor's degree in health sciences from Bradley University, Evan developed Lieber's uh, hereditary optic neuropathy and became legally blind. While adapting to this new normal, Evan went on to receive a master's degree in kinesiology with a concentration in applied exercise physiology from the University of Illinois at Chicago. We're big fans of uh, U of I because of Adam Bleakney and all the work they do for wheelchair racing. Uh, Now Adam is a certified personal trainer and fitness nutrition specialist through NASM and runs the online resource Cane and Able Fitness for individuals with visual impairments. Evan, thank you for joining us today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, can you maybe take me back to uh, first your your first university experience, kind of going uh, into Bradley and uh, why you want to perf- uh, pursue health sciences? Yeah, so um, I had gotten an opportunity to do a lot of really cool things in high school. Um, I went off to what I call boarding school, but it was, a, it was a math and science academy where we had to do these different service hours. And I was always a kid who didn't care as much about math and science, and I was just staying afloat there. I really liked the, the physical stuff. So I would talk to our PE teacher, who was a former bodybuilder, all the time. And, and she was super accommodating to me and just gave me all kinds of time that she really um, probably shouldn't have because I was probably asking a lot of really dumb questions. So I was very interested, wound up uh, helping start a student athletic trainer program there um, where you can do your service hours by helping out the sports teams and the athletic trainer in order to, um, you know, wrap ankles and get that kind of stuff ready. And we got kind of into some rehabby things there. And then I got to do a um, a, a study basically uh, all on my own uh, at the uh, Feinberg School of Medicine at Northwestern University with their physical therapy group um, with stroke patients and then using a uh, fancy robot to help analyze the force velocity curve. So um, I, I really enjoyed that project and really wanted to, to help people. But that experience kind of um, lent me into physical therapy things. And then once I got into undergrad and was working out all the time and uh, started shadowing the strength coaches and doing things like that, I realized I wanted to work with more active populations, not just help people after they're already broken, but instead get ahead of that and make sure that I'm able to help people way before they're broken so that uh, they don't break down nearly as early. So those initial um, kind of experiences in fitness kind of led you to pursue this degree in health sciences. And during that time, you became legally blind. Um, So can you maybe kind of take me through the months leading up to that? Were you symptomatic in any ways? One eye, both eyes? Yeah, so... um... I had graduated from undergrad and then was um, basically doing like a gap year, um, assessing my options and um, working a couple different jobs in the fitness industry. I was a high school strength coach for that summer, working as a personal trainer um, and overseeing a, uh, a college fitness center. And I was playing just regular recreational um, volleyball at our YMCA. And this was in November of 2014. Uh, I was usually pretty good. So I had been forced to play a lot in undergrad and everything with my friends. And then one day I I thought my contacts were off, thought the lights were just bugging me or or something something was weird. 
and then I got hit in the face. And I always like to uh, kind of use the shock value of it was actually my eighth grade teacher who was on the other team who hit the ball and I got hit in the face. Um, so I was like, that that's like never happens. I, I've never been hit in the face before. I'm always able to react really quickly, blah, blah, blah. I, like, I didn't even see it coming. So keep playing. Um, wound up going to serve and I throw the ball up and I lose it. I don't, I don't even know where the ball is. So I just randomly swing and it like hits the ground like 10 feet in front of me. Uh, so it was that day I realized, oh, something, something's up. Um, wound up getting a, an eye appointment and very quickly realized uh, nothing was being able to be fixed in the front. Um, and then we took pictures of my nerves, um, my optic nerves. And they were pretty well shot already. So within two weeks, um, I had gone from correctable vision, contacts and everything, driving, all that stuff, to uh, a death ride in a car, putting my keys away after I got that uh, preliminary diagnosis. And uh, we were done just figuring out how to adapt and go from there. Uh, I believe since it's a mitochondrial disease, it can only be inherited by them through the mother. Is that correct? Did anyone in your family have it? Yeah, we've got a, a couple people on my mom's side who have it. So was it always on your radar or something you were concerned about? or? Not really. Especially we were told, like, it is onset later in life and has to do with, like, alcohol or drug abuse. And I was like, well, I'm not very old or any, like, anything like that. And it turns out we were kind of misinformed. Um, it, it can show up uh, and usually does show up in younger guys who are about, you know, early 20s or so. Um, but... It, I still had doctors telling me like you're like the healthiest person we've ever seen with this disease or anything so i was kind of a, a weird anomaly still but um yeah i wasn't really going through life thinking anything about that until all of a sudden it was like oh that's right that's probably it yeah so how does that manifest just for people who aren't familiar with the diagnosis so what what amount of usable vision do you have today and um, so where where mine stopped is I have some um, vision uh, in my peripherals and then down the middle is pretty dead. Uh, I always talk, talk about, well, um, everybody has that, that kind of little bit of a blind spot um, in their right eye where you can like kind of, uh, there's always like a piece of paper test. I remember doing in school in order to teach us about this, but your brain actually makes up what's there. So it, it takes context clues and tries to fill in that gap so it's not confusing a blurry spot. Um, so my brain's constantly trying to do that with what tiny little blurs it actually gets down the middle. Um, so it winds up being a bunch of little dots and stars jumping around and trying to confuse me. Um, and that leads to some hallucinations and little things like that that you learn to control and understand what's real and being manifested and what's not. Um, but my peripheral is what I kind of rely on a little bit more. I would imagine that can be both physically and um emotionally and intellectually exhausting um do you find that like you fatigue a lot quicker just over the course of a day trying to work or kind of do you have a, a different setup for how you for how you can work effectively yeah the first couple of years um was uh pretty rough fatigue wise um i wouldn't be able to focus for very long uh bright lights you know i couldn't sit in a movie theater for that long or i would just sit there with my sunglasses on things like that um, I still have some light sensitivity, a little bit of nausea, things like that, but I'm able to control it a lot more. You, you tend to get used to it pretty well. Yeah. What was your initial response to the diagnosis? And like, what do you think is like the social emotional differences between an inherited disability later in life 
as opposed to someone who was uh, blind from birth? That's a good one. Um, me, uh, apparently I was pretty chill. Um, we had uh, my brother's birthday party that day when I when we figured out what was going on. Um, and I tried to keep it hush hush, but the, the eye doctor called and ratted me out. Um, but it was, it was it, I don't know, I, I've got a, a very tough family, um, especially my mom. So she will just shrug off surgeries or literally cancer at times, um, just power through treatments and stuff. So um, it's kind of ingrained in us to be able to, to power through um, and just figure out solutions through action. So I was just kind of locked into that how i was gonna adapt so i gave myself a couple days and um and then we were trying to just figure out life and faking my way through that those couple jobs still uh and zooming on my phone when people weren't there so i could do my computer work things like that um but i'm not sure so much how it compares to uh, someone who would have had such a disease all their lives um i just know that uh as long as you have a good support system, um, that social emotional uh, aspect can be uh, a lot easier. Yeah, that mindset and like the support system is a pretty similarly echoed sentiment. Uh, when we talk to clients with like SEI um, or who've had like a drastic overhaul to their lifestyle um, due to a disability later in life. And I think it's a important message to communicate because a lot of times, like the medical model of disability, people assume that uh, everyone with a disability uh, resents their condition or that we should sympathize for them. Uh, whereas a lot of the conversations that I've had, uh, people have the mindset that they've taken towards their disability is is pretty uh, motivating. Uh, so I, I kind of like the, the message you communicated there. Um, did you ever, were you ever concerned that you weren't going, like you were going to have to change occupations or that you weren't going to be able to do what you want to do? Um, I'm pretty stubborn. So <laughs> I, I kind of just figured I'd figure something out. Um, cause I hadn't even applied to grad schools yet when this happened. Um, I was, I was working on it and researching ones to do and things like that. But then, um, after, after we figured this out, um, I quit applying anywhere. Uh, except for University of Illinois Chicago, because my sister was there and she was willing to be, be uh, supportive and um, and help me out, um, just surviving uh, during that time. So I just kind of put it in God's hands and said, if I'm going to go to grad school, it's going to be here. That's going to be it, um, and then we'll figure it out from there. And luckily, I got in and um, we kind of just kept trucking. Did you know that U of I was National Paralympic Training Center and? worked with a lot of uh, Paralympic athletes. So I get to kind of relive um, that experience every year through this this camp that I work in St. Louis, where these young adults come in with visual impairments. and They're like, I've never met another blind person. So um, I was, thought I was going to be part of that statistic as well, um, not knowing how to advocate for myself, not knowing where resources there were. I thought there was going to be nothing except maybe a software to help me, and that'd be about it. Um, so I had no idea for like the first probably half of grad school how I was going to uh, adapt let alone um, understand that there was a, a bigger community up there so um, we actually did for one of my classes um, one of my teachers brought in a guy who was really good um, and on the Paralympic team for uh, wheelchair basketball um, and they had a whole wheelchair basketball day for us um, had all the equipment there at the gym apparently tucked away in a closet 
and we we played that for a whole class. Um, so that really helped me understand that there was a bigger community there and get to appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And now are you working full time as a personal trainer? Um, I'm in between jobs right now. I'm actually trying to just build up Can Enable Fitness currently. Um, there, there were some different issues with my disability and a workplace actually up in Alaska. Um, and we're having to deal legally throughout all of that and, and figure it out. Um, but in the meantime, um, making the best of things, this has given me a really good opportunity to, uh, work on can enable fitness a lot more. So, um, being able to create, create more content and then, uh, got to do a trip and do some seminars in Medellin, Colombia and all kinds of fun stuff like that. So trying to put my focus, uh, into, uh, this population currently. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we can dive into that a little further. Uh, when you were first diagnosed, yeah. did you, were you able to find any resources for training with a visual impairment or did you find the information to be pretty scarce? I had, I found nothing really, um, especially approached at the level, um, I wish to a lot of, um, uh, help for people with disabilities is, um, a little bit more like, yeah, you did it. And just doing a little bit of something. Um, and I know you guys are different, uh, but I've worked with, uh, many different disability groups growing up and that that's seemed to be what it was. It's like a pat on the back, like, Oh, you stood up and down in a chair five times. Yay. We're done. Um, so I wanted to make sure that something really efficacious was going on out there. And yeah, I, I did not find that in my first few years of having a visual impairment. Yeah. That's one of the narratives that we try to combat against is like the idea that solely due to the presence of a disability that you should expect less or that you should congratulate someone for performing rudimentary tasks. Um, and while it's yeah. like well-intentioned, it continues to kind of marginalize and lower uh, like expectations that people have for people with disabilities. So um, it's a intended to be positive, but ends up actually having negative repercussions, at least from my perspective. But I try not to be like too cynical because I know people are doing their best to support people with disabilities, but they aren't always knowledgeable enough to know how to push them appropriately. Or uh, maybe it's just what they've been exposed to. So I can appreciate I can appreciate the approach to trying to like raise the standard and raise the bar uh, for people with disabilities. You competed in strongman um, currently or previously? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm revving back up, uh, trying to get back in shape to do some some cool competitions again. Yeah. Um, but I think I've done 11 strongman competitions, and those have all been since my diagnosis. Yeah, and what kind of drew you to strongman? Do you find that it's a sport that has fewer barriers to participation with your visual impairment? Or? Um, no, the strength sports, it's, it's probably the has the most barriers but uh to, to me it's the most fun yeah there, there's something different every time um so i was drawn to it because I'm, I'm a farm boy at heart and uh it's just moving weird junk and getting do cool things um picking up stones and pulling trucks and things like that so i was really drawn to just um how less a to b it is um instead you just get to kind of bully things around have fun with it yeah, that's awesome. And do you want to maybe highlight some of the successes you've had? So you won, did you win a state championship a few years back? Yeah, yeah. A few years ago, I won Illinois Strongest Man, um, swept my weight class. Um, and then they actually 
it was really cool. Sometimes they do it where um, all the guys do all the same weights, regardless of weight class. So if it's a speed event, then it you know it benefits smaller guys, and if it's a heavy event, it benefits uh, larger guys, things like that. Um, and pound for pound, um, I got barely second place to a guy who travels internationally and, and does it pro. So that was that was really fun. Um, that was a, a good day for me. Um, I always say I was listening for two that day because my mom uh, was competing too and she got a little injured. Um, so we kind of uh, just made up for that and um, went into a, a different mode that day. And then um, there's another competition that I had won uh, back in Peoria, Illinois as well, um, which uh, had to dig deep for that one too, but it was um, one of the first ones I've had, I had both my brothers there for. So um, it's really fun because you can kind of sit around and hang out with your buddies and, and your family and eat fruit gushers and then go lift some stuff. And uh, it, it turns into some really fun days. That's a, yeah, that's a awesome, awesome way of recounting those stories. Um, do you, do you find that like event organizers are ever concerned or taken aback by the fact that you have a visual impairment? Um, no, I wouldn't say that at all. I, they have been incredibly accommodating. Um, I wouldn't say to a fault, but like very, very, very nice. Um, I get an extra minute to kind of feel things out and set things up and understand where, where transitions will be. If I have to move from one stone platform to another, things like that. Um, and uh, it was pretty funny at, uh, at 2019 nationals, there was like, it was at that point, the biggest strongman competition ever, the most people ever out in Columbus, Ohio. And the promoter at the rules meeting is like, no one gets a coach on the floor except this one person who is blind. That is, that, there's a only person I am allowing to have anything and don't say a thing about them getting anything and just told all thousand people that were there. Like they get an accommodation, don't even talk to me. Um, so it was pretty cool. Cause then everybody, you know, you got everybody looking around the stands like, oh, who is it, who is it? Um, so uh was was very very fortunate that uh they are just super helpful it's a very very kind community for sure yeah i was gonna ask if you ever use a guide like i'm in the marathon world um and obviously a lot of people with visual impairments run with guides do you do you use a guide in competition or um it depends on the event uh in strongman it could be a bit of anything um so if it's like a truck pull where you use a rope the rope is your guide really there um so that that isn't too bad but then there's been some events where it's just like i don't know left from right uh if i throw a sandbag and it doesn't get as high and i will get it again i need help with that um so just different things like that i don't know where starting lines are finishing lines are so um depending on the event is how we'll use a different guide whether it be in front of me um i've had even like a farmer's walk down uh like a city street is what it was. Um, so it's easy to veer left to right because I had no guidelines with my peripherals. I had two guys yelling at me on either side of me in order for me to like audibly know if I was going straight or not. Um, so it, it's really cool because event by event, you have to adapt in very different ways. Yeah, I like that. Um, what is, since I'm kind of in the content creation space as well, putting together a course, uh, what is your approach to creating information, like disseminating information? Do you look for literature? Is there really even that much literature on fitness strategies for people with visual impairments or is it more anecdote? Yeah, it, it tends to be more anecdote. There's there's a little bit of research, but not very much at all. Um, 
you kind of have to delve into other issues. Um, and that's where my master's degree in kinesiology really helps out is um, I'm able to kind of have a unique perspective of experience mixed with education. So I'm, I'm kind of mixing the biomechanics, physiology of different diseases, um, think about the vestibular system, things like that in order to create pertinent content. Um, and then that also changes how I uh, address people. So um, a lot of people, you know, want to create Instagram videos with uh, that are just sheer video um, and not describe things very well. So it's working on audio description. And then I have different um, ways of creating tactile cues for someone to feel intrinsically and then uh, turning that into more of an audible cue so that you're able to uh, tell a client with a visual impairment what to do and they understand how that's supposed to feel because they can't just watch you and pick that up. Yeah, maybe piggybacking kind of on that topic. Um, maybe if you were to walk into my gym or if you were to go to a gym and work with a personal trainer for the first time, uh, maybe someone who doesn't have any experience working with someone with a visual impairment. We only have one client at our gym uh, who is fully blind um, and has been since birth. But um, if you were to go into a gym and work with a new coach, what would you want them to ask you kind of what would you want that process to look like maybe from start to finish? So um, building that rapport is, is huge um, from the get-go. And I actually have to uh, do this myself every year at that camp I mentioned in St. Louis, um, that program's what's called. Uh, so the SOAR program, they bring in these young adults, and a lot of them haven't been allowed to do PE. Um, there's a really sad uh, this, um, trend of children being just put on the side for PE class. Um, and so they don't have very much physical capacity or um kind of understand those cues. So we start building that up just by asking what they like to do, what they've done before, um, and then being able to go through some basic movement assessments. And then kind of during that process, when you're you're figuring each other out, um, always asking like, okay, what is your level of visual impairment? And then another really big one that I always hammer home with different medical professionals and stuff who I'm consulting with is make sure you ask about other symptoms of their disease. Everyone thinks, oh, they're blind. That's the biggest problem. But there tend to be a lot of other issues that come with different diseases that manifest that blindness. So you have to make sure to take that into account as well. And sometimes there'll be even other parts of a disease that mess with someone way more than the visual impairment. Any any specific examples of that? Or do you have any co-occurring like symptoms? Uh, yeah, me, I get neuropathy in my hands and my feet at times. So uh, everybody is like, hey, your shoes are untied. And it's like, well, that, that helps it not be too tight so I can feel my feet better throughout the day. Um, and then kind of disorganization or people being too loud or getting in the way and things like that, that'll throw my, my uh, just nervous system off more. So I'll actually get blinder. So if things are organized and um, I'm able to understand what's in a space that helps a lot. What level of physical support should a fitness professional provide? And obviously they shouldn't assume that you want to have like a, a hand on hand or hand on elbow guide, but what level of um, physical support do you like, or have you found that most people are comfortable with? Um, I think it really depends on the individual. Um, 
a lot of blind people will use human guide, especially in a, a newer environment, especially if they're newer to using a cane or being visually impaired. Um, me, I hate human guide where you hold on to somebody's elbow and like back of their arm and, and follow them. Um, I kind of like just just rolling and having my cane and um, you know, using my what little I have and everything. Um, so it's going to kind of depend on the person. So um, opening that gate and asking like, hey, do you want do you do human guide or need any assistance going around or you're just ready to roll um, and making it really nonchalant and, and not weird that that can always be helpful to to ask that um, and see what they like and then also know that might even change over time. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good, uh, a good framework for, I mean, most of these things can be alleviated by just having genuine conversations with the client. I think sometimes fitness professionals are concerned about doing or saying the wrong thing. Uh, whereas at least I've found if your intentions are pure, most people are, are eager to explain as much as possible, or they're eager for you to make mistakes under the premise that you're doing what you can to support their needs. Um, so I think kind of alleviating some of those concerns, uh, for fitness professionals is one of the things that I hope we can provide. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's nice to also as the client, no matter if you're visually impaired, disabled or not, um, it's good to feel understood in a bit. So the person putting forth that effort is, is really great. Um, instead of someone who is just really awkward and then yells at you because if you have visual impairment, they also need to scream at you. So, you know, it, uh, it helps when people do it right. That, that is one of the communication things I see so much that, like, um, I take care of a, a boy with Down syndrome and autism, and um, he's 19, and there's some people that just, like, elevate their voice and, like, yell at him, like, it's going to improve his comprehension if they talk louder. <laughs> it's just such a weird phenomenon to me, but I guess it's just people talk either woefully slow or woefully loud. Um, it's just kind of a, a funny thing. Well, not, yeah, not, not funny, but, <laughs> um, I, I do often tell people that like, whether you currently work with people with disabilities or not, like these experiences make you a better coach for all populations. Like you said, like when you're working with someone with a visual impairment, your ability to communicate audio cues, uh, has to be so much stronger and it has to be concise and it has to be precise. Um, and that's going to kind of make you better when queuing any, any population. So I was curious, like as a trainer, did you work, obviously you worked with some able-bodied and, and clients without visual impairments. Did they ever have assumptions about your ability to coach them? Um, some people, you know, there's, there's always some be people who doubt uh, or don't understand and then make a lot of assumptions, um, which has led to the, uh, the the wrong determination we talked about before. Um, but I've been in some different situations where people are, are very understanding um, and even just like you, you can't even tell that he's blind and all this stuff or people will think other people when they when tell them about my condition, they think that those people are lying about me, even you know, stuff like that. So um, I can be a pretty good actor and I, I take a lot of preparation and thought into kind of rigging the room or, or my space in order to um, be able to get the right angles and put people in the right position. So I do a lot of overthinking and I think people uh, understand that and appreciate that and we still get the job done. Um, I was a, a professor at a college for four years teaching this stuff and then also uh, did four years at a chiropractic clinic as a, a rehabilitative exercise specialist. And we didn't really have any issues in, in either of those realms. Um, people were able to, to understand and we just 
able to adapt. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the educational background in addition to the to the lived experiences. It makes you better than anyone really for communicating on this topic, um, both having that academic prowess and uh, and the anecdote. What have been your greatest influences from a from a training standpoint? Um, probably like Louis Simmons from Westside Barbell, um, Charles Poliquin, who you know uh, passed away sadly, but uh, probably the greatest strength coach of all time from a numbers perspective. And then uh, Cal Dietz is another big one from University of Minnesota. Um, and then you know you if. If you're good at training, you're constantly learning and cherry picking from other people, things like that. So um, I was watching like Josh Bryant, you know, hardcore arms training videos yesterday to pick up different techniques and kind of keep those fresh. Yeah, the triphasic stuff from uh, from Cal was a great resource for me. And um, obviously cherry picking Louis Simmons stuff like we work with high school and collegiate athletes a lot. And it's obviously a different population than than powerlifting, but the special strengths and and learning how to um, how to develop different physical qualities is is imperative. And I kind of always say like being a effective adaptive fitness coach is first and foremost being like a really good strength and conditioning professional as a whole, because uh, you can't really like creatively apply these principles unless you have a a wide depth of information to pull from. Um, so like you you can you can't creatively come up with solutions for someone with a visual impairment or someone with an intellectual disability unless you have a variety of experience and intelligence to pull from. So um, while you might just be interested in the disability piece, it's imperative that you learn the strength and conditioning and learn from the people that have done it um, to a very high degree uh, so you can better serve those clients. Absolutely. I think of it kind of like a tool belt, like you need more tools in your arsenal. And with people who have disabilities, Abilities, you're going to need some more specialized tools is all you can't just use a hammer and a screwdriver you have to be able to um, have these more unique pieces to your knowledge base so um, if you're able to have a, a broad set of tools and learn so many different things you're going to be able to very creatively apply it to our population yeah absolutely what technology do you use in the gym or what technology do you think gym should have to support people with visual impairments um i don't think that they should have much extra technology um um, I'm kind of a stickler for you can't just magically create an environment that is is going to really fit a very small percentage of our population. Um, instead, we as a visually impaired population have to learn how to operate within certain systems. Um, there is certainly a middle ground that's not being met yet. Um, I think that we're, we're heading towards that direction though. Um, I've had some different colleges and things like that uh, reach out and want some different ideas of how to make their facilities more accessible. Um, but being over the top and uh, I even think about somebody's brought up like, oh, let's put braille on the machines and then you can have every weight set with like labeled on every pen loaded machine with braille. And we're like, no, it makes no sense. Like people are just gonna think that's that's just like some goo or something and like just flick it off and it's not going to make it a week. Um, so like, can you imagine like people who don't know what it is during rest periods, just like, I'm going to be a hero and, and, and you know, yeah, yeah. Take this off. Um, so instead, uh, I think a lot of it is going to be about learning how to navigate typical gym settings. Um, I had to do that down in St. Louis where I went to uh, a big commercial gym on my own. Uh, I had to figure it out. Um, and it was a, a very unique experience, especially trying to get 
the uh, people who work there to understand like, oh, there's something different about this guy. We have to treat him a little bit different. Like you can't just be like, oh yeah, the shoulder press machine is over here and they just sprint away. That's not going to work. So there's these different accommodations. And a lot of this I cover in my free gym acclimation program, which we put up on our website and have audio description for and everything like that, where we create a program that's just three weeks long and slowly stair steps you into being a blind person starting at a gym where day one, you're figuring out where the bathrooms are, where the general weight area is, where like uh, the stretching area is, a spin room, things like that. And then starting to build in more pieces of like how to work a pin loading machine, um, how to load weights and hit certain weight numbers on a barbell and get used to doing that, um, memorizing the dumbbell rack and what order it's supposed to be in, things like that. Um, if you really chunk these things out, I think as a visually impaired person, you can have a lot of success. Yeah. I would love to share that guide, uh, with our audience. If that's a free resource on your website, we can definitely link it in the, in the show notes. Cause, uh, that acclimation period is probably essential. It's interesting that you're the, the second guest I've talked to the other one, um, was with an SEI who kind of adopt this perspective like it's not the gym's responsibility to adapt to me it's my responsibility to adapt to the gym um i think that's that's an interesting obviously it's a reassuring standpoint from like my perspective as a gym owner but at the same time i want to do everything i can to kind of be proactive and making sure my facility is as accessible as possible are there any like small universal design like aspects that you would that you would want to see at a gym that you think can because i think sometimes people think you have to drastically overhaul a facility to make it accessible when in reality you can make a few small steps um, like any small steps that you can recommend for people with visual impairments um different sort of tactile maps i think um are useful and i've had a lot of positive feedback about oh that system would be really great um helping to understand the layout of a gym because a lot of it is once you get to a gym floor, it's it's usually loud. You know, there's usually music going. There's people talking because apparently that's what you do at the gym now. Uh, you can throw in weights, things like that. And it's it's a lot of stimulus and it's hard to understand where things are and like play the echoes of the room and understand what's where. Um, so it's really good to be able to have some sort of like tactile map as well. Um, so there was a college who was just like, oh, we could create uh, these like Braille maps or something like that in order to help us like just have it at the desk and then show a blind person how kind of the setup is. So they have a general layout in their head and then definitely walking around with someone who works there, um, getting the the full layout, understanding where stuff is, is huge. Um, And then even being willing to do that more than once. Um, I know when I just went to the commercial gym, the second time I went in, I still didn't know even close to where everything was because you can't just memorize a hundred machines and where the squat racks are and how that all that stuff, um, let alone not run into people constantly. So um, it's going to be about just chunking it out. So I think that's, that's really huge is um, taking that, that very intentional time to learn certain areas. And that's one of the biggest accommodations that help a lot. Yeah, that's that's a perfect small small recommendation easy to implement not super cost uh not super costly from the gym owner standpoint not time consuming uh just something that would be easy to make people uh feel good about the gym and i'm sure people without visual impairments could probably benefit from some sort of some sort of mapping uh system as well it would help them learn how to navigate the gym uh do you do you see any like 
mobile solutions becoming relevant. Uh, have you tried any of the things that like uh, kind of map out environments and, and give you audio cues to a phone? Um, not so much. I know a lot of that's being developed. Um, there's actually a, a blind Japanese woman named Chieko at Carnegie Mellon who is doing a lot of like artificial intelligence work in that realm where it, it maps stuff out and then makes it more accessible and you can use different apps. Um, I have not uh, really dug into that too much yet, yeah. but it, it sounds yeah. very interesting. Yeah, there was one company that I had a few conversations with and um, the premise of it was that you have these beacons um, that kind of physically map the entirety of the gym and someone can go in and uh, get these directions through their phone. But the thing that seemed to be a little tricky with the gym environment is like sometimes my prowler sleds get parked in like slightly different areas or the orientation of the med balls kind of gets changed um, or maybe a rowing machine gets moved over a few feet to the left. And I don't know if the the beacons really have the capacity to make those small adjustments that would be pretty essential if you're being told to walk straight and there used to not be a rowing machine there, but now there is, like it becomes a little bit of a liability. So I wonder how um, the combination of AI and these technological solutions will, will kind of come up with uh, a better alternative to that. But it does seem like it would be something that would be uh, a great addition if, it, uh, if they can come up with a solution. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a great start. And I always say, like, at the gym, usually people are, are the problem, you know, leaving junk out or getting in the way or, like, I'm trying to do a sandbag run and I'm, I, I can't see what, what's going on. Um, so, you know, trying to do that with a heavy sandbag and people are just, like, kind of just, like, lollygag in the way and, like, yeah, guys. So I always have to ask someone if the track is clear, things like that. Um, so maybe AI will create a solution for them too. Maybe. We'll see. maybe, yeah. I feel like half the time my job is just to make the 10 or 11 people training at my gym aware of what other people are doing because they just seem to be in their own in their own space and own world. But uh, we kind of wrap up a lot of these conversations with, and we've already talked about this topic a little bit, but like as a whole or globally, what do you think gyms need to do to be more accessible and inclusive? Not maybe only for visual impairments, but for people of all abilities. It's a great question. Um, I think just providing more willingness to help um, and maybe just a, a little bit of side training in order to understand how to work with someone with different disabilities. Um, it doesn't have to be necessarily too in-depth because, again, we're, we're not going to have um, a three-hour seminar at every gym to figure out how to treat someone with visual impairments. And they're like, I've never seen a blind person at the gym anyway, which is a whole other problem. Um, so I think a little bit of background on how to work with people with disabilities and just be kind of have it in every, the back of everyone's head of that mindset of being accommodating, adaptive, inclusive, and then just willing to help in unique ways they didn't really expect to. Uh, I think that's really a great start. Um, the gym is a beautiful place to be able to work through a lot of stuff and improve yourself physically, mentally, um, even literally get smarter with some of the hormones that get produced. Um, so we need to make sure that that's, that's doable for, for everyone. And I think making it much more inclusive, and especially when the staff is involved, that becomes much more manageable. Absolutely. I think that's a, uh, 
a good thing to wrap up on. That was a good conclusion to, to that discussion. So Evan, thank you for, uh, for joining us today and sharing the wisdom. And we'll definitely link to the resources that you provide in the show notes. And uh, we'll share on our social media stuff leading up to your episode. Uh, but really appreciate your time and your expertise. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you for the work you're doing out there. Thank you for listening to the AdaptX podcast. Our effort to amplify the ideas of our guests and create more inclusive and accessible industries is futile unless these episodes reach a larger audience. If you enjoyed our discussion today, please leave us a rating or a review on whichever platform you use. And if you would like to learn more about AdaptX, the course that we teach to health and fitness professionals and the projects that our organization is working on, you can subscribe to our newsletter through our website, www.adaptx.org. Until next Monday.